you know, these, these infomercials and, you know, get rich quick and buy my program and I will teach you the secrets. There are no damn secrets, right? <laughs> uh, there really aren't. Um, but it's, it's that expectation of, you know, Hey, I can quit my job and be a millionaire in a year. It's yeah. not how this really works. Uh, it does take a lot of hard work. And, but the ones that, you know, are successful, um, you know, are, are very happy with what they've done. And it's actually not that much work when I look back at it. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, real quick before we get started, first of all, I wanted to thank everybody for joining us on the show and for listening uh, to all my loyal listeners. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, continuing to listen and support the show. If you can go on to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you listen and subscribe to the show, that would be fantastic. Spread the word too. I'd love to, you know, have this reach more and more people. So if you could share it on social media or, or, or and just talk about it to other people, that would be fantastic. And the last thing is if you can go on to iTunes and give us a rating review, uh, hopefully five stars, that would be great as well. It just helps us spread the word more and it helps us get continue to get uh, really good guests on the show. We've had some fantastic guests and I just want to be able to continue to bring fantastic value to you. Go on to our Facebook page too, Pillars of Wealth Facebook page. And I'd like to hear from, from you as a listener of you know, what you're doing in business, what you've got going on, what you are maybe struggling with or uh, being successful with, and then what we can do on the show to help push you to that next level. Maybe uh, questions we can ask our guests, maybe guests that we can get on the show to talk about certain topics, certain things that are really neat. You're needing uh, some, some extra support with. So provide for us some feedback on Facebook. Um, and you can also share this out on, on social media. That would be fantastic as well. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being a, uh, being a either new listener or a loyal listener. I definitely appreciate it. And we will get started with the show. Hello. Welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexhammer. With me today, I've got Bree Schmidt. Bree, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? I am fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us. A little bit about Bree, and then I'll let you kind of give the rest of your background. But Bree acquired her first investment property in 2011, left the corporate world in 2014 when she became a full-time real estate investor. Bree is the managing broker of Second City Real Estate, a full-time, full-service brokerage working with new investors and seasoned investors looking to expand their knowledge of the industry and, and their portfolio. Um, a little bit more about uh, Bree. She's the co-founder of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit, nonprofit educational summit. And I know you guys are now uh, putting stuff out there. I think you've got some speakers aligned and we'll probably be talking a little bit more about that. So I'd suggest uh, anybody listening that's interested in going to a, a conference, this one would be a fantastic one to go to in Chicago. And then uh, Brie also loves traveling. She's been all over the place, Albania, Costa Rica, Croatia, all kinds of places. I could keep on going on. The list is really long. <laughs> so you've been everywhere, which is awesome. I love traveling as well. And the last thing is uh, you've been 
on all kinds of other podcasts and, and uh, just doing a lot of good things, I think, uh, in the real estate industry, which is always exciting. So with that, can you give our listeners a little bit more about your background, how you got started and where you are at today? Oh, God, we have a whole hour for that. Uh, <laughs> I've got a very interesting background. So I, you know, I always explain it as I used to be a normal person, uh, <laughs> you know, I used to be a normal person who had a job um, and, you know, didn't think really mm -hmm. much outside of, you know, you go to work and then you, you know, put money in a 401k. And then when you're in your sixties, you get to retire and go travel and do shit. Um, so that was like my life plan. I actually loved my job. I used to work in advertising sales. I'd worked there for almost a decade, uh, building, building up my career. And my goal was to be, you know, a female executive. That's what I really wanted. Um, I started traveling for work when I was 23. It was really fun. I got, you know, an expense account and got to fly all over the country. Uh, but then after a few years, it really sucks. Um, <laughs> it, you know, when you're traveling every week or like, I just went to DC for a vacation and my husband asked, have you ever been in DC? I'm like, I've actually been here 11 times but never like actually never got to do visited. it. Yeah. You know, like I flew in in the morning, had a meeting or two, and then like got one back to the airport and flew back. Like that's what my trips to DC yeah. were. And I didn't realize that life sucked. Again, I, I really enjoyed my life and I thought it was, you know, the right thing to do, the, the right path to take. Uh, it wasn't until my late 20s uh, that my father got sick. Um, so we went out for his 60th birthday. We had this big party for him. And a few months later, he found out he had cancer and it was all downhill from there. Uh, he ended up passing away the day before he was supposed to retire. And it really stuck with me, A, how fast things went, but B, like it was the day before he was supposed to fucking retire. And yeah. we had planned his retirement party and had to cancel it and instead had his wake. And my dad used to always talk wow. about, you know, when I retire, I'm going to go do this. When I retire, I'm going to go do that. And he was offered early retirement, but he kept pushing it off. You know, when your brother finishes college or after you get married, there's all these things. And he just never got to go do those things. And it really sat with me. Uh, mm. At the time, I owned one property. Uh, we had house hacked a three flat in Chicago. Um, so I had, was, you know, wasn't really thinking about real estate as a, as a life plan. Um, but in the months that followed, my husband and I sat down and we're like, you know, we're not even 30 yet. We've got... 30 more years of this crap, right? Like, Jesus, like it's, I'm already yeah. exhausted. I've had less than 10 years of this and now I've got to do another 30. Like, how do we, how do we do the things we want to do now? Um, and so we looked at a couple of different options. Like we researched, you know, can we learn how to code, right? And that way we can work from everywhere uh, across the world. Um, and, you know, real estate obviously came up as an option. We had already been living for free at that point with our first investment property. Um, and I started to deep dive into, you know, how to do it. Uh, within a few months, we bought our second property. Um, and then within a few months after that, we bought our third. And that property was a, a 1960s, you know, piece of crap. Uh, we loved it, you know. Uh, but it needed a complete renovation, which we had never done before. Uh, so we decided to renovate the property. And after it was all said and done, we were able to pull out a sizable amount of equity through a cash out refinance. Uh, so then we were in a very interesting position of, hey, we've got this capital, um, you know, buying in Chicago is great. I love the city of Chicago, but you know, price points are starting at half a million. Um, it's definitely more of an AB type market where you're getting appreciation and moderate cash flow. Like, is that really what the path was? 
And their plan was to buy, you know, we wanted four properties. We figured we would just aggressively pay them down. And in 15 years, we would have them all free and clear, and then we could retire. Um, so I started, you know, researching. Actually, I was, I remember it was at work. It was the week of Thanksgiving, right? No one works really the week of Thanksgiving, but you have to be there. You don't really want to take the <laughs> kind of, you know, playing around on the internet. Uh, and I Googled a question about zoning and I, the, this website came up called Bigger Pockets, and someone had asked a very similar question and, and there was answers to it. And I was, you know, went deep into this world of real estate investors. I'd never talked to another real estate investor before. I'd never gone to a meetup. I'd never read a book. Uh, and all of a sudden here I am with, you know, I'm supposed to be working uh, this whole week and there's Bigger Pockets. And I think I probably spent like, 40 hours on that website in the first week. Um, I just went all in. Uh, and, I remember you got paid for it. What? Yeah. And, I know, right? <laughs> uh, and I said, by, you know, that was November. And by, by January, we had, I'd done enough research to figure out that, you know, buying in Chicago wasn't, and, you know, paying these properties off over 15 years wasn't what we wanted. We wanted to look at other markets, which would be more cash flow based. Um, we decided on Milwaukee as the market we did, you know, decided to go into um, for, you know, January, February, March, April, probably May. I spent almost every other weekend, if not every weekend up there looking at properties, getting to know the market, right? Putting together a plan, finding team, building my systems. Um, and in July, we bought our first set of properties. We bought five properties in the same time. And the next day was my last day of work. So I quit my job. Uh, luckily at that point though, I will preface, I know a lot of these listeners have full-time jobs and the big, you know, goal or everyone would talk about is like, Hey, I quit my job. Like it's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, understand that at that point we were already doing commercial loans and I talked with my bank that they was going to lose my income, which was the majority of our household income. And mm -hmm. they had told me that it would not affect my ability to get future loans. So that is a big difference. I think you can't just yeah. go quit your job if you have growth plans. Um, and then the next year was insane. I went and bought, I bought 18 properties in nine months, uh, just under, I think, 60 units in a nine month period, which was either really smart or really stupid. Uh, it's still undecided at this point. Uh, <laughs> continue to grow. And, you know, then since then, you know, when you, when you don't have a job or like a real job, uh, if you're, you know, I thought I'd be a cool, chill person who just, you know, reads books and cafes during the day and, and yeah, right. naps. I'm not. Um, so through that, I started my own brokerage company. Uh, I partnered with a gentleman to start a website business, turnkeyreviews.com. Um, started a local meetup in Chicago and then also started the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. So since then, I have now five businesses um, that I run and I work 30 hours a week. Are you actively buying properties right now? No, I've not. I have not bought a property for me since 2015. Um, so why? I'll explain. Great. So I said, you know, bigger pockets really, really threw a curveball for me. Uh, I became absolutely obsessed with real estate. It has completely taken over my life. That's why I say I used to be a normal person, you know, who did, who could talk about normal things with people. Yeah. Um, in social settings, apparently that just is not in my forte anymore. No, um, same, same with me. You know, like, 
What do you mean sport? Who cares about sports or yeah, celebrities? Like I'm talking real. Let's talk about real estate. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, people, yeah. It's very hard. Like people are just like, I think they avoid me socially now. Right. Um, because I can't, small talk. But uh, it got to be really obsessed with it. And my husband at the time was like, listen, you know, A, he wanted to quit his job too. I was like, this is not fair that you get to quit your job. <laughs> um, and I don't because he hated his job. I liked my job. Um, so that was it. And he's like, there needs to be like, when's this going to end? Right. Because you are, you know, you're up at night. He would wake up at night and I'd be sitting on my computer at three in the morning running numbers in Excel. Hmm. You know, he's like, there's, a, there's, there needs to be a stopping point. Um, so when is enough enough? Um, so I came to him and said, okay, I've run some numbers. Um, I think, you know, my goal is $10,000 a month gross rental income, which is a very common goal. I think we need $25,000 a month or net cash or gross cash flow um, to get there. Um, that's our goal. So that was the plan. Um, we hit that goal and then I decided it wasn't enough. I wanted a little bit of a cushion. So I just didn't tell him and just kept buying more properties. Um, but then once we hit 35, then I was like, okay, enough's enough. Um, at that point also though, I had been uh, approached by a few partners. Um, who wanted to work with me. They were passive investors, um, both had, you know, careers that they were focused on. They lived halfway across the country. Uh, they really had no interest in running the day-to-day, -day, but they wanted to be passive. Um, so I started to develop those relationships as well. Um, and through that though, I never wanted them to feel that I was taking the best properties and then giving them the leftovers. Hmm. So I told them I wanted to wait, like, hey, once I, here's my goal, I'm anticipating I'm going to hit this goal around, you know, I think it was May of 2015. Um, at that point, I would be open to discussing working with you as a partner. Uh, but during this time, let's take this time to understand each other. And that was really important, I think. Um, for about a year, I talked with them. And what I did, even before I bought my first property in Milwaukee, and this happened, is I would, you know, send them a monthly recap email of like, hey, I, you know, this month I went and looked at, you know, 40 properties. And, you know, I'm starting to notice I don't like properties in these areas and I like properties in these areas and here's why. Um, I'm starting to notice, you know, there's a lot of deferred maintenance in these types of properties. And I just started to like journal essentially to them, even when I bought my first properties up until, you know, we kept going of like, hey, I had to do my first eviction this month. This is how I handled it, right? These are the steps that I took. This is what I learned. And they really, really got to know me during that time period. And I encouraged them to ask me questions. You know, because when it came to time, so when we actually did buy properties together, which we did, I have about 10 properties with my partners. Uh, it's been a very seamless, easy relationship. It's been a few years now uh, where they don't, I don't call them to make decisions, uh, you know, and they don't necessarily second guess my decision-making abilities because we made sure that we explained all that up front. Um, so that was really important. So yeah, in 2015, I started working with partners. Uh, we continued to buy until about 2016. So it's been about maybe two and a half years since we closed on our last property. Um, a, it was a lot of issues with we were changing management. Uh, so I didn't want to, to do anything until we had, until I was 100% confident that we were stable. Um, and then by the time we actually got stable, I couldn't really find anything. Mm -hmm. You know, the market had shifted by 2017 where there really wasn't anything great or anything I was getting excited about either. Yeah. Um, so then we just continued to hold. So that's why. 
Yep. Yep. So it's more of a product of, well, for, first of all, you're financially where you needed to be. So it's not like you have to force a deal and uh, the deals just, just aren't there. So not anymore. Yeah. yeah you're not gonna, you're not gonna go out and, and which is really interesting in the timeline. Um, I started purchasing properties a little bit before you, but I stopped purchasing uh, the one to four family properties pretty much at the exact same time as what you did in both uh, the Twin Cities and I was purchasing Milwaukee as well. Uh, and it was about the same time frame that I said, I saw the exact same thing. So we must have semi-similar underwriting yeah. <laughs> and ideas of what value is on properties. Um, you, a, a couple things, um, you know, I, I actually, I, I want to back up on your story. You and I uh, off before recording, we're talking about um, your first try or you're going to buy some turnkey. You don't have to mention the company, mm -hmm. but talk about that story because I thought that was really interesting. I think there was a valuable lesson that was learned from there as well. Sure. Yeah. So like I said, at the time, you know, we had this capital from our cash out refinance. At the same time, like within, I think, 30 days is when I found bigger pockets and discovered this whole world of like, there's all these options out there, right? Mm -hmm. I did notes, passive investing, flipping, like there's all this stuff. Um, so someone had approached me about partnering with them through bigger pockets. Um, and they had brought up Milwaukee market. That's where they worked. Um, you know, they, they'd sent me numbers of actuals. Like these are what we've purchased in the past. These are our numbers. I'm like, wow, this sounds great. But they wanted, I would put hundred percent of the capital in and get half of the business. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, that doesn't sound very good. Um, and I can do that for myself, you know, yeah. we only live 79 miles. Right. Um, but again, at the time I was still thinking that I was going to continue my W2 job. I had no intentions of leaving my job. So I Googled, I heard the word turnkey through bigger pockets, right? Didn't know what that was, but it, it sounded really good, right? It sounded like, Hey, I can, you know, keep my W2 job, right? Which funds my life, which funds my ability to grow. Um, and then someone else will just do these properties for me and it'll be a very passive investment. So I, you know, I think I maybe Googled Milwaukee turnkey and found this company's website and the numbers looked great, right? Way, way better than Chicago. Um, you know, and so I was like, Oh great. I'm going to buy these properties. And we had gone back and forth and, you know, before I actually went up there and negotiated, I think I was buying seven properties, uh, sight unseen. Um, and then I wasn't going to see them until we were going up there to do the inspection. And so we'd gone up there, you know, we booked all seven and back to back to do the inspection in one day. And I was uh, very, very surprised uh, and not in a good way. Um, so I learned a couple of valuable lessons that day. Um, you know, good returns are good returns on paper. Um, I've learned that now. So yes. it's not realistic in real life. Um, and you know, under, it made me under, it made me step back and think about what kind of landlord I want to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the word slumlord, right. I think would sum up that day. Um, I have a couple of rules that have come out of that day. A don't buy a property where you can see the sky from the roof. Right. Common sense. Um, I also decided that I did not want to buy properties if tenants didn't have bud frames. You know, if there was just a mattress on the floor, like that wasn't the kind of tenant class that I wanted to deal with. Uh, so that's been a rule of mine since that day um, is there has to be, you know, at least a body frame, right? It's 
$30 on Craigslist, right? Mm -hmm. You can't afford that. Like, then what content are you going to be? Um, and it made me also understand, you know, where my, my level of expectations was. Uh, in Chicago, I bought everything except for the rehab. You know, my tenants all live in granite stainless, you know, high end or higher end apartments. Uh, that's, what, that's what I've lived in. Um, and it opened my eyes to, you know, what other options are available out there. Uh, and I decided that I don't necessarily want all those options. Um, so my own other personal rule is that I won't buy anything that I wouldn't personally live in. You know, mm -hmm. if I wouldn't shower in that bathroom, uh, then I wouldn't want to expect a tenant to shower in that bathroom. So on paper, the, the properties that I bought probably aren't the highest returns I could have gotten. Um, and I want to say on paper, because if you're dealing with the lower tenant class, you're going to be dealing with a lot more problems. Uh, but that's what kind of dictated my path moving forward. Yeah, I think um, that's... I backed out of that deal, by the way. I did not buy any of those properties. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I think that's very powerful what, what you said. And a lot of people get excited. You know, they go, well, Milwaukee is a, a little cheaper market, especially than Chicago. It's cheaper than like the Twin Cities, cheaper than a lot of markets. And so people go, okay, I'm going to invest in Milwaukee or Cleveland or wherever, any market that's cheaper. And then they can see these properties that are really cheap, um, like these turnkey properties you were looking at. Uh, and the numbers look great on paper, like you said. Yeah. They're fantastic paper numbers, but in reality, we're going to have high vacancies. Our tenants aren't going to pay us rent. We're going to have destruction to the property. Uh, they, can, they can vacate and they can sit for a long time and maybe other people break into your property and are sleeping at your property for free. All kinds of stuff happens. And we then on paper are, are great numbers that look so great all of a sudden become really pretty bad. Well, one of the things I think people don't understand, um, A, again, it's interesting for me because my portfolios are, you know, Chicago, Milwaukee are 90 miles apart. Um, I've actually spent the same amount of money on acquisitions in both markets. Uh, my cash flow per market is drastically different, right? Even my, my said, even the, the gross rents is drastically different. Uh, my appreciation in both markets is also drastically different. But understand that a furnace costs the same in mm -hmm. either market, right? Yep. So when you're looking at things like repairs um, as a percentage, um, you know, if my rents in Milwaukee are $700 a unit, right, versus my rents in Chicago are $1,500 a unit, right, I'm running my expense ratios very differently. Yes. And I think people get really stuck with that. So when you're buying a $30,000 property, right? Let's say that rents for $700 a month. I think that's a, you know, average deal in Milwaukee in some neighborhoods. Understand that that roof, that furnace, plumbing problems, right? New carpeting, new paint, new appliances, new cat, whatever it may be, uh, is going to cost you, right? Such a larger percentage yeah. of your monthly rent. It's not yeah. like, hey, you bought a property for 30 or 300 that the roofs cost the same thing, you know? Yeah. So that's one of the issues. Um, yeah, a lot of us decide we're going to put in that 10% of the income, but what, like you just said, well, in Milwaukee, if you're getting only 700, it might be more like 20% of your income. For sure. Income. Absolutely. Uh, it's one of the questions I get asked most during my speaking engagements is, you know, I just did a speaking engagement in Chicago last week and I, I talked about how I phased out my business or phased my business into working only 30 hours a week. That was one of my life goals. And as mm. soon as I opened it up for Q&A, no one gave a shit about any of that. They wanted to know all about Milwaukee. I got bombarded, like seriously, for like 30 minutes about Milwaukee questions. 
Um, cause everyone thinks, you know, like, Hey, cash flow market, it's an easy market yeah. to go to. I explain like, you have to understand my, my expenses in Chicago run between 20 to 25%. But when my expenses in Milwaukee are more like 50 to 60%. Yeah. So if you're thinking that you can, if you're experienced in Chicago and you're thinking that you can apply those same numbers and metrics to that market, you are going to be in big, big trouble down the road. I can mm-hmm. guarantee it. Um, now part of my, one of my businesses is turnkeyreviews.com and during, and through that business, I've talked with and interviewed a lot of turnkey investors. Um, I can tell you, I've gone back and re-interviewed them years later about their experience when they, you know, when I first interviewed them, they were excited. You know, like I just bought this, you know, winning property halfway across the country. Uh, now interesting thing is all of them that I talked with and re-interviewed years later, uh, don't regret getting into turnkey. They all still pretty much have their properties. They saw it as a, a starting point. Um, yeah. Almost all of them were no longer in turnkey. They'd figured out, you know, how to kind of do it themselves and continue to grow out of state. Um, and the biggest regret all of them had, or if they had done it, was not visiting the property. Um, yeah. All the ones that had visited the property, like felt like they understood it. And if they ever bought anything sight unseen, it was always their biggest mistake. So I think that that's an important lesson, regardless if you're buying, you know, out of state, you don't understand that these markets are different, right? And there's different tenant classes and there's, you know, you have to understand these sort of things uh, and understand what you're buying uh, to make sure that, you know, your, your expectations are correct. Yep. Yep. And that's something I, uh, that I said to you when we weren't recording was that's good that you actually went to the property because there's so many people that think, well, I'm going to buy a turnkey. Everything's taken care of anyway. It's turnkey. They can send me some pictures. Oh, it's man. all good, right? And oh. Yeah. So wrong. <laughs> it's so wrong. Because like the pictures obviously won't show that you're buying next to a sewage plant. Yeah. You know, like those are the things that they're not going to show you. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's something you, I think you have to do. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And if you're not going to go, one of my suggestions always is if you absolutely like will refuse to go is I would put a post on bigger pockets. Mm-hmm. I would offer someone $300, mm-hmm. right. And I would offer them $300 for their time to spend half a day getting like driving on the neighborhood, taking videos for you and attending the inspection for you. Yeah. Right. Um, so that way you can get a subjective third party opinion. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I agree. But for me, if you've never been to that market, you need to go. You probably should go. Uh, maybe if this is your fourth or fifth turnkey property, it's a or third or fourth or whatever, you just, you don't want to go into that market because it's only a small transaction. Then, then paying somebody, I think is just maybe okay. But I think for the first time you should probably go. That, yeah. There's a lot. Opinion. Right. There's a lot in the neighborhood. Like said, even within my market of, you know, where I invest in Milwaukee, so much that there's, there's like two little nooks mm-hmm. that I just will not buy. I will mm-hmm. not buy on this specific street. And then it's like a specific block range. And there's a specific corner I will not buy on. Yeah. Um, I just don't like it. Right. And yeah. I can't really explain why, but whenever I like, whenever I pull on that street, like I just get like a icky feeling. Um, and that sounds ridiculous to most people, I'm sure but I just, I've avoided it. Um, yeah. And then through the years, I've seen properties come up on those streets and they're always cheaper than everything else. So like, you know, those are things that you can't tell again by pictures. Yeah. 
Yep. Well, and your intuition plays a big role. And you, you said an again, icky feeling and that's ridiculous, but it's actually not like, it's yeah. pretty true. I, I think when, when you feel awkward or weird about uh, a street or a block or, you know, something, I think most people feel the same way. And so yeah. that's why the values do go. There's something wrong with that little area. And that's just, that's just why it goes South. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm super excited to announce the North Star Real Estate Conference that uh, I am putting together along with a few other friends. And we are expecting to have a great crowd there. This is going to be September 20th and 21st in Minneapolis and Twin Cities area. And hey, it'll still be warm. And we're going to have a ton of great speakers there. We're going to have uh, some motivational speakers. We're expecting to have uh, speakers talking about a lot of different commercial real estate topics, multifamily and commercial real estate. So we want you there. We would love to have uh, a great crowd there. We would love to have you there. And the cool thing with this conference is all the profits are going to uh, benefit charity. They're going to benefit junior achievement specifically, who they uh, serve underserved uh, youth and they, they bring financial education to them. They not only teach financial education, but they teach the, the kids how to be entrepreneurs, how to be business leaders, and how to really do fantastic things after they're out of school and, and moving on. So that's who we're uh, going to be benefiting. We're going to also have a charity gala. It's going to be a fun event, and I'd love to have you attend. So again, it's called the North Star Real Estate Conference. Check it out. We've got uh, links that we'll put on the show notes. Uh, we would love to have you there. We'd love to have you attend. Speaker lineup is coming and uh, that'll be announced uh, shortly. We do have a few speakers already uh, lined up, so you'll be able to see that. We've got Trevor McGregor will be our keynote speaker. He's a master platinum coach. So you're gonna love this event. We are gonna just have a ton of fun and learn a bunch and also benefit a great organization as well. I will see you there. Check out our show notes for the links. So you not you do all this stuff. You got a lot of stuff going on, but you're only oh, working. Okay. <laughs> it's crazy, uh, but you're only working. You you say thirty hours a week. So yeah. what are you doing uh, that our our listeners can do in order to help us get to that point? So it's been a a, a path, I will call it, for the last two years. Um, so when I met my now husband, I said we were we were maybe on our third or fourth date or something like that, and. It, you know, my phone kept going off every five minutes. We were trying to like watch TV or you know, whatever. And at some point he looked over at me. He's like, man, your life sucks. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm self-employed. I get to do what I want. Like my life is awesome. And he's like, you're just glued to that phone, you know? And so he started like, I wouldn't say like making rules, but uh, you know, like, Hey, if it's, if we're eating dinner, you can't be on your phone, you know? Sure. Um, and you know, you shouldn't be taking call if it's eight o'clock at night, you shouldn't be, this is ridiculous that you're taking phone calls this late. Um, so it kind of forced me to re-examine some things. Um, Mm. so I started doing, uh, implementing some processes to get down to a 30 hour work week. Again, I own five, I own eight companies technically, uh, but five different businesses. And I've gotten down to about 25 to 30 hours a week at this point. 
Um, so some of the things I've done is I re absolutely refuse in-person meetings. Uh, they are a huge waste of my time. Uh, I work from home and I'm a girl. So for me to go to an in-person meeting, like I have to A, put pants on, which is a pretty big deal in my house. Uh, I've got to do my hair. I've got to do my makeup, right? Like I can't just, you know, wake up, take a five minute shower and then be ready to go to go meet someone. It doesn't work like that if you're a girl. So it's like a whole hour long process. And then I've got to go drive to that meeting and then meet with the person. And of course, like the first 20 minutes is just basic chit chat, which chit -chat. is all, you know, mm -hmm. small talk, which again, I'm not socially able to just do small talk. Um, and then, you know, and then I've got like, so now this in-person meeting is actually three hours of my time when it really should have been a 30 minute phone call. Yeah. Um, so I've learned to, uh, I don't take in-person meetings. I schedule my time out. So, you know, I usually set aside one day a week, which happened to be yesterday for me, where I do my phone calls. I had phone calls from about noon to 5.30, back to back, set up for the entire day. And like, that's kind of like my phone calls for the week. And these are people that generally, you know, either want to take me on as an agent or have some questions in regards to like what their plan is, uh, you know, want to, you know, pick my brain or those sort of things are uh, generally just the phone calls from me. I block it off, boom, I'm done for the week. Um, and then the rest of my week is, is focused on certain things. Um, so I, you know, focus on today, I've got three other tasks I have to get done. Uh, they're in my calendar, they're blocked off. When I start a task, I close out all of my um, email, I turn my phone on silent, and I work on that task. I kind of time myself, right? And I, I time myself and I give myself treats. So I kind of bribe my, I say, I bribe myself like I'm a dog, right? <laughs> if you do this, you get a treat, um, you know, and sometimes those treats are, uh, you know, I get to go eat, you know, a fudge brownie. Um, and sometimes those treats are, you know, my husband and I are supposed to be 60 degrees in Chicago on Thursday. It's been absolutely miserable this entire winter. And we have a brand new motorcycle that I've not been able to be on. So like Thursday, I'm taking off the entire day uh, and just blocking out my entire calendar. And we're going to go take the motorcycle out for the day. That's my treat uh, this week. So I have to get all my work done uh, before Wednesday at close of business this week to be able to go do those sort of things uh, and make sure that I'm not, you know, worried about, you know, a million things on Thursday when I'm supposed to be enjoying time with my husband. So those are things that we do. Um, what else? Uh, I also use the getting things done method of organization. Um, I always joke that I was too busy to actually read the book. So I just got the cliff notes online, which was perfectly fine. Uh, but it's a very, it's a very good organizational method. Yeah. And it helps you if you've never read the book, you know, that because I have so many different businesses, my, my, my to-do list is broken down by business. Um, and then my tasks are written down. And the, the point of it is, there's two main things I took away from the whole the premise of it all. A, we spend so much of our time worried about forgetting something. Uh, so if you write everything down, and I carry my book with me everywhere, every little thing, call back someone, send this email, whatever it may be. You're, now you're, not, you're giving up that brain energy back to yourself of not trying to always remember everything. Um, in the mornings, first thing you do is you, you do everything that's going to be less than five minutes. Then it gives you a sense of accomplishment. Like, hey, man, I just knocked out, you know, 10 things off my list. Wow. Like the rest of my day is going to be easy. Hmm. Uh, and the third thing that I really took away from it is to, to block things off into smaller segments. So an example would be, you know, I do our taxes. 
again, I've got eight different businesses that need returns done. Um, it can be very, very overwhelming. So instead of just writing on my to-do list, like, hey, I've got to do taxes. I write, you know, hey, LLC one, I've got to do these taxes. LLC two, I've got to do this. I break it down for myself into small little nuggets. And that way, if I give myself an hour, this just happened to me a couple of weeks ago. You know, I gave myself four hours to do four, four business returns. The first one I did in 20 minutes. And then I was all excited. Like, oh man, I did that in 20 minutes. Like I still got, like, let's, let's power through the next one. Yeah. You know, and I actually, then I get ahead of my to-do list uh, because I'm being efficient. Cool. Cool. Um, well, a lot of good stuff there. I like that. I like tur turning off your email can be so, so powerful hard. for me. You get distracted, so right? Yeah. Like it's hard. And uh, I forgot one other thing, uh, setting boundaries with people. So I have business hours and I only work in those business hours. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I stick to those business hours. Like someone called me on Sunday this week and they asked me like, oh, hey, you know, uh, did you get my email? I'm like, no, it's Sunday. I don't have email on Sundays. My office is closed. Um, yeah. and they're like, okay, they start talking. I'm like, excuse me, can this wait till business hours? Uh, cause you know, I thought you called cause my house is on fire. That's the only reason someone should be calling me on a Sunday. Yeah. So if you're, you know, can, and she's like, great. Yeah. Let's, what time are you available tomorrow? I'm again, I don't know. I don't have my calendar. It's a Sunday. So you can email me. And then when I get to my calendar during business hours, I will gladly schedule a time to talk with you. Uh, so setting those boundaries with people. And sometimes it comes off like being rude, but I don't answer my phone past seven either. Um, you know, and I really, I don't answer my phone past three o'clock on Saturdays until nine o'clock on Monday morning. Uh, and sometimes I get pushback from people about that. Uh, but really once I explain like, this is my time and you need to be respectful of my boundaries, uh, people really actually respond quite positively to those things. Yeah. That's something that, especially when I was doing all the self-management of my properties that I finally had to do was it was to train my tenants to not like we have business hours. Our emergency hours are between this time and this time. Here's our emergency line. I ended up getting a separate emergency line and the emergency was only for like major things. And I made sure we made sure we pounded that into them. And now we still do that to this day, even though I'm not taking the calls. Um, I just don't want, people that are I'm paying to be taking calls after hours because it's the same way. I don't, they don't need to be taking calls at nine o'clock at night unless it's a true emergency. Yeah. Um, it can wait. Sure. You can mm -hmm. wait till the next day. Most, and, and very rarely do, do we ever have a true emergency. Very rarely. Uh, exactly. Uh, so, so that's, that's a big thing is you can train people and same thing with on the weekends. Uh, train people not to be calling you like that's just not what we do that's not our business uh, is not to be at your beck and call all the time especially for usually it's like pointless things little pointless things that they want to talk about or want to like tell you about yeah um, uh, I had a tenant once that I was you know I'm generally very I self-manage my Chicago portfolio and I'm generally very very responsive with my tenants uh, but you know this is like maybe the third time they had contacted me in their first couple months of being a tenant. And they sent me at like seven o'clock in the morning, a video of their refrigerator and was like, I think my refrigerator is loud. And like the video is for me to hear how loud the refrigerator was. And I just did not respond. Like I waited till the next day and was like, is your stuff still frozen? 
And they're like, well, yeah, when your footwear is fine, you know? Um, and that was it. And since then they have stopped, like they've just stopped contacting me unless it was something real. Real. But seriously, your refrigerator's loud. You know, unless your stuff is melting, like this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but you're right. You have to train people. And even I said, I just gave um, a talk last week about um, the, the things that I've done to, to get my work week down. And someone actually emailed me and said, you know, like I always just assumed because I was on the go, everyone else was on the go, on the go as well. And I like never thought about being respectful of someone's time when I'm contacting them. Um, and you know, I'm going to actually change that because I was emailing people at like, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And if they weren't responding back to me first thing in the morning, I was getting offended and, you know, yeah. never thought of it from your perspective. And you do like once you start training people, uh, but I train my clients, I train my employees, I train my tenants, uh, to be respectful of my time and to find what is an emergency, like what really needs my attention. Um, you know, I said, I run, a, you know, a brokerage company in Chicago. We're one of the top 10% of agents in the entire city of Chicago. I take two months of vacation every year. You know, my agents know when to actually contact me and when not to. And it's pretty rare that they actually do. I yeah. went away for a month in September. I think I got maybe one or two emails the entire month because they now know, right, you know, no. what really actually needs my involvement. Right, uh, right. You know, and, and that's and that's actually good for your entire business. And, and I'm reading a book called Clockwork right now, and that's a lot of what they talk about is that a lot of business owners hire people and then they kind of like they they just do, they don't let them develop and be responsible for themselves. And the the you know owner of the company is oftentimes doing the work for them, and they're just kind of the robots. And what you're doing is letting them actually go and letting them do what they're good at. Well, that's um, what you pay them for. And it's hard, true. right? Being for. a business owner is very difficult. Uh, rather, it's like between the, the agent side of things, the landlord side of things, the event side of things, there's a lot of, my hands are in a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got, so even with my property manager, we were talking about this earlier um, before the calls, you know, I, uh, I believe that if I hire them as a manager, then I should not have to micromanage them, right? Uh, and if I have to micromanage them, that means that they're not doing their job and I should just hire someone else. Like, what am I paying you for? Like the first, the first, you know, year or so was really a getting to know you phase. I mean, I said, I live an hour and a half away. So I was up there once a month yeah. meeting with them. I wanted once a month meetings. I wanted to go through everything. Now I think it's been, it's been about a year and a half since I've seen them. Um, you know, we do everything remotely and our conversations, we can go through all 90 something of my units in a matter of 20 minutes, yeah. um, go through all my questions and all my answers, all their answers to my questions. But again, it comes to the point of, you know, like even we had someone, they had someone new who let me know that the furnace broke, um, you know, the furnace broke and we had to repair it. Cool. Why are you calling me? Like, really, why are you, why are you calling me? The furnace broke. It's fucking February. What do you do? Not fix it. Yeah. You know, we absolutely have to fix it. So like, yeah. why would you bother me with those sort of things? Uh, because really I can't say anything yes or no about it. It has to get fixed. Yeah. Now, if it's a matter of do we replace a part or do we replace the furnace, right? Those are things that I should be involved with. But if it comes down to, you know, Hey, there was a, a toilet clogged. Like I should not be notified of that kind of stuff. That's yeah. really not my business. And I shouldn't be telling you how to do your job either. 
if I tell you how to do your job, that means that I should be probably looking for someone else to hire. Um, and I use that method with my property managers, with my agents. Um, same thing as, you know, you should have the ability, right, to, you should be able to ask questions um, and make sure that what you're, what you're doing is correct um, and have that sort of environment. But after that, once you learn how to do something, once you learn how to write a contract, or once you learn, you know, how to lease up a unit, uh, then it really should be up to you. I also don't get involved with tenant screening. Like, I don't know what my property manager's criteria is, right? I don't, like, if whatever their criteria is for income credit, you know, criminal history, I have no idea. Uh, but you better believe I hold them accountable if they place a bad tenant that leaves after three months. Right? That means that their criteria needs to be redone. It's not on, my, on me to tell them what to do, uh, but you better believe I'm not paying for that eviction you know, if their criteria is not strong enough. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, you're letting them do their job. You're not micromanaging. I think that's the biggest challenge as a business owner is we, we think we know all the right answers. And, so we, and sometimes we might know the right answers. And so we just want to micromanage or we end up micromanaging and we end up basically having people that they don't, they can't make a decision. Then we get mad because they can't make a decision. <laughs> That's how we train them. It's hard to, I've seen businesses uh, with the different property manager that we had. I got really excited that this property manager sounded great, right? They're talking about systems and processes and there's, there's a flow to everything. There's a workflow for everything. Yeah. And it sounded great, right? That's the kind of stuff that I love. Uh, and when it came down to it, once we actually, you know, started using them, it became very apparent very quickly. They had no idea what was going on in their business. So they were so much about delegation, right? Mm. That they gave all of their, their yep. all their employees had full, you know, full decision-making abilities. They never actually checked up on them. Yeah. They never actually followed through. So something would happen like in the field with the day-to-day -day, and I would email the owners and copy on whoever the person supposed to be in charge of it was. Uh, and be like, um, this is just gross negligence. Uh, yeah. You know, who's, and they, they, after the third or fourth time where they're like, oh, well, we take responsibility. And, you know, like, that's great that you're owning up to it, but you're not, you have no idea what's going on in your company. Uh, yeah. There are so many levels of management within your systems that you're so far removed from the day to day. And so there has to be that checks and balances as well. Um, with, you know, you can't get, you can't delegate too much either. Uh, and let your employees go too far with it. So it's a, it's a fine balance. It's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good, good point for sure. Um, well, a few, a few more questions before we kind of wrap up. One is uh, you're not buying really right now. Um, is, are you planning on where's your, where's your business going? Where, where are you trying to take it? And what are you trying to do? Are you going to continue to buy or are you kind of in a good spot? You just let this continue. I have no idea. There's no plan. Yeah. Uh, you know, and instead, even when I've had plans, they've always changed anyways. Yeah. Um, so there's really no, no set plan at this moment. Uh, that I'm in a good spot where I'm able to, you know, manage the five companies and work my 30 hours a week and take two months off of vacation a year. Like I'm happy with that. I don't feel the need for, you know, always having more, right. What's always next. Uh, that can be very exhausting at times. At uh, the same time, though, we were talking about, like, uh, I'm starting to sell off the bottom part of my portfolio. 
um, which now leaves me with capital um, to be able to do something. I'm just not sure what that something is yet. Um, so I'm taking the capital gains hit. Oh my God, I know someone said they're actually doing that. Everyone seems to freak out when they hear that I'm taking a capital gains hit. Like it's the worst thing in the world. Um, but I'm taking a capital gains hit. And my hope is, you know, that something will, will spark my attention and something will spark my passion. Um, and I will have the capital available to make a move into something. Uh, what that is, I don't know yet. Sure. But one of the ways I learn about those things is I attend conferences. So, you know, you mentioned that we have our conference coming up in June. It's the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. Uh, I actually attend conferences all over the country. And I use those conferences as a, a way to network with people, uh, but B, really to learn things outside of my world of buy and hold, um, you know, and learning, you know, different directions of what other investors are doing. So last year was a decision year for me of, you know, what am I going to do with my portfolio? Uh, the end of that year decided that I will sell off the bottom 20%, which I just started doing in January. Uh, and then really I'm in a position and said by June this year, I should have the majority of those portfolio, those properties sold off. And then I'll be in a position to be able to make moves. And I plan on using that event and other events I'm attending to, uh, to spark new, new creative ideas in my head. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I like that. Um, Tell, tell us a little bit about that event, uh, the the Midwest uh, event that you got going on. Yeah, so we didn't we didn't necessarily create the event. Uh, the event started in San Francisco and a couple of years ago with a guy okay. by the name of Jay Martin. If anyone's attended, uh, and he was, you know, Jay's awesome, but he his goal in life was to wear flip flops. He was a bank bank underwriter slash regulator for the I think the state of California or something like that you know, very business suit type thing. And his goal investing was like, he wants to be able to wear flip-flops every damn day. Uh, he has quit his job. He now does that. Um, but he ran this event in San Francisco. And the first year he did it, he was like, hey, I'm just going to like, you know, invite these people from bigger pockets that I know and, you know, kind of throw together this event. And it was amazing, right? It said the, the mentality, what makes, I think, what makes bigger pockets unique is it has this uh, very paying it forward mentality with people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, people aren't necessarily there to sell their get rich quick program. They're there to legit help people and learn from people. Yep. So when you have those sort of people in, in person, in an actual event, talking with each other for days on end, uh, it really cultivates great relationships. I met one of my business partners actually at that event. Um, you know, went back for another year and did the event, went back for another year. Then I went to Joe Fairless's event in Denver, which was also a great event. Um, and then we did Philly last year. And so our event has tied into those events, or we've been very fortunate to know these people that create these events that have helped us with ours. Sure. Um, but it's about 400 real estate investors. We have over 30 speakers that come uh, locally and throughout flying in from all over the country. And really it's an event of of people talking about their real life experiences. We don't allow any sort of gurus. No one's pitching their get rich quick program, uh, but it's learning lessons across the board, whether it be flipping to marketing, to wholesaling, to notes, to whatever. Uh, our keynote last year talked about how he had 4,000 units and because of a lapse in insurance and a freak accident, all of a sudden went $25 million in debt and then had to learn to rebuild himself and started, I'm like, and I just sat there on stage with this guy, like, 25 million, like, my God, I would have been crying in a ball on the floor for like, I don't know how I would have bounced back from that and rebuilt myself. 
into this, he's got even a better company now. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's those sort of stories of, hey, this is not easy, A. Uh, this is not a get rich quick, you know, world of real estate. Uh, you know, and hey, it's okay to mess up. Everyone messes up. But like, how do you not, how do you prevent that from happening again? So those are the kind of people that we target for speakers is though people have that real story um, and are, are willing to share the realities of things. And I think that only helps other people learn and grow from that. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Those are, I always learn more, especially from people who are willing to admit some of their mistakes. Like, for sure. like that guy who, Oh I mean, my God. Lost everything. I still get, I still get chills like yeah, to this crazy. day talking about I, it. I know, uh, I, I know what story, I know who you're talking about. I know the story. It's just, it's just wild. Yeah. Um, last, uh, last question. We'll put the link up then for that, uh, that event. That way sure. our listeners can actually get to it, register for it. I think it's a great event. It's in Chicago in the summer so it's warm yes you don't want to be coming to chicago this time of year trust no me. no you don't i live in minnesota i know yeah <laughs> we're like polar vortex right yeah, like, exactly thunder um, snow i think was one of the other ones we had this year <laughs> like i don't know who makes this that's the job i want right. i want to make up those cool those like cool names. Warm words right uh perfect uh last question is uh what are your three pillars of wealth creation Oh, um, focus, mm. right? Um, focus, adaptability, um, what would the other one be? Focus, adaptability, uh, I guess persistence, right? So like I said, my, my, my plans have changed throughout the years. Uh, and they adapt over the time. Like I said, in, yeah. you know, we were talking earlier, you know, things that what I thought seven years ago is totally different than what I thought I'd be doing three years ago. And, you know, when you ask me about my future, like I have no idea. Um, I have no idea where I will be, but hopefully I will be in at least as happy place as I am now, if not happier. Um, so I just kind of, I've learned to be adaptable and go with the flow and, and not necessarily force opportunities. Uh, but keep my eyes open to opportunities and I'm able, I've been lucky enough so far to be able to, to recognize something um, and then go for it. Um, focus as well. That's been a big thing for me uh, over the years is really learning to focus. You know, said so taking steps like turning off my email when I'm, I'm doing a task. Um, that's really helped me with efficiencies um, and, and with what my plans are. So, you know, that people even call me all the time, like, hey, I've got this flip project. Nope. What do you mean? Like, I don't even want to hear what I, I don't do flips. I yeah. don't have interest in flips. I like my focus is something different. So I'm not even going to waste my time even discussing with you about that because that's something I, I have no idea about. Um, but I just don't want to do it. Um, so adaptability, focus, and persistence, right? This world is not easy. Um, and, you know, every single one of us who has been successful in real estate has made a mistake, right? Every single one of us has lost money in some capacity or another, whether it be opportunity cost or, you know, decisions that we've made. Uh, and that's just the reality of it. That doesn't mean that you're a failure. You have to still keep going, right? Be that guy, hopefully not that you lost 25 million, you went from a million dollars in debt, right? Hopefully it's much smaller, uh, mistake or not really a mistake in his case, but something that happened. Uh, but you got to keep going, 
right? Uh, and you can't really give up. And that's, I think, hard for a lot of people. Again, you hear with our, with our world, you know, these, these infomercials and, you know, get rich quick and buy my program and I will teach you the secrets. There are no damn secrets, right? <laughs> uh, there really aren't. Um, but it's, it's that expectation of, you know, hey, I can quit my job and be a millionaire in a year. It's yeah. not how it really works. Uh, it does take a lot of hard work. And, but the ones that, you know, are successful, um, you know, are, are very happy with what they've done. And it's actually not that much work when I look back at it. It's, it's a lot of work for a short period of time. Yeah. Um, like you said, you're not getting rich quick, but it, it really, in reality, when you look at your whole lifespan, it's not that long of a time. It's a lot of work, but if you set the systems and processes and the scheduling and all that kind of stuff up like you've done, um, you can get there relatively soon and painlessly. And there's going to yeah. be some pain along the way, but. There's that saying, what is it? Like, if you do something that you love, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's definitely true is that to me, it's not really work because I, I yeah. actually, I love what I do. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but part of that process though has been phasing out the things I don't like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to only spend my time working on the things that I do like to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Well, great. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Sure. Um, generally, the most the easiest place is probably Bigger Pockets or LinkedIn. Okay. Um, those are the two places that I'm, I'm on almost every single day. Um, and then again, you can visit our website at midwestresummit.com. And our event is June 1st and 2nd in Chicago. Perfect. Perfect. We'll put that on the show notes uh, awesome. so people can find it and uh, hopefully they attend and uh, I'm going to try to make it uh, part of my schedule as well. So. Great. All right. Well, good having you on the show. Appreciate it and have a fantastic rest of the day. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey, I want to give Bree Schmidt a, a thanks for coming on the show and giving us a ton of value. Uh, a couple things I especially took from this episode among many others is first of all, she talks about implementing processes, uh, systems and processes that are going to really work for you. You know, the, the few things that she talked about are no in-person meetings for her scheduling time blocks, focusing on the main tasks. You know, she closes out the emails, turns off that email and really focuses on those main tasks. So uh, that definitely works for her that might not be what works for you, but you've got to figure out what implementing the, the what that means, implementing processes and, and systems. So the next thing she talks about is uh, adaptability. Make sure you're adaptable. Make sure you can change with the times and, and make sure that you are able to shift when a shift is needed. Uh, then the very last thing she talks about is persistence. Have persistence and keep on moving along. Keep on pushing that path. Uh, and continuing your progress. So again, I, I would go back and then check out this episode again. Take one key thing that you really uh, enjoyed from this episode and focus on that. Make sure that's a part of your business this week and really put some focus on, on that one key thing that Bree um, helped you learn uh, today and uh, and implementing your business. So again, special thanks to Bree. Appreciate her joining us on the show. I'm Todd Dexheimer. I'm signing out. Make every day a Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Couple things before we go. Again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. 
Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business, and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day, and as I say, make every day a Saturday.